hear me okay? Our scripture reading today is the fifth chapter of Daniel. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wife and his concubines, might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold round his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color changed and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king, my father, brought from Judah. I have heard of, I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations and language trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed. And whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened 
so that he dealt proudly. He was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was driven among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath, and all, and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Many, many, tekel and parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Many, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, that you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the, king, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. The word of the Lord. The writing is on the wall. The writing is on the wall. This, this phrase, like so many other phrases that we regularly use in English today, actually passed into usage from the King James Bible. So the King James Bible gave us phrases such as a stumbling block, a thorn in the flesh, two are better than one, signs of the times, and this phrase, the writing is on the wall. The, the phrase comes from the story that we're reading today. And today, if we use that phrase, the writing is on the wall, we generally mean that the situation is about to become really difficult or unpleasant. And that's exactly what we see happening today. The writing is on the wall, and things become very unpleasant. However, before we consider what happened in today's story, we need to take just a second and step back to consider the very existence of Belshazzar in the accounts, because his existence and his place in this account actually makes things a little bit difficult for us who believe the truthfulness of the Scriptures. You see, this king, Belshazzar, appears on the scene without any introduction, no biographical information, no explanation of his place in the line of succession to the throne. And, in fact, this character who appears at the beginning of chapter 5 disappears almost as quickly at the end of chapter 5. Now, it makes it difficult for us because those who want to discredit the historicity of the book of Daniel, those who want to say that this book was all just made up, that it's just, it's just fantasy created by someone in order to encourage others in their faith, they say, well, look, this character Belshazzar, when we look at the historical records of Babylon, there is no record of a king named Belshazzar in the historical records of Babylon. And more than that, we find at least five times in this chapter, 
Belshazzar is called Nebuchadnezzar's son, or Nebuchadnezzar is called Belshazzar's father. Well, there was a person historically named Belshazzar that we find record of, but his father was the Babylonian emperor Nabonidus. Nebuchadnezzar didn't have a son named Belshazzar. And so what do we do with this entire chapter that seems to get some pretty key historical details completely wrong on its face? Is this just fantasy and the creator of it got these details incorrect as he was writing this fiction for us? Well, friends, there's been much research done about this. And the first, both of these problems are actually very easily and quickly resolved. And I speak this now, not because you're, you've walked in here worried about the technical details, but I speak this now so that you can understand that what it is you understand and what it is that you read and what it is you believe is true and in line with history. So we do find that history tells us Belshazzar was the eldest son of the last king of Babylon, whose name was Nabonidus. Now, Nabonidus, when he was gone... His oldest son, the crown prince, would reign in his place as the regent, king. And history tells us that Nabonidus was campaigning in Arabia for ten years, and he didn't return from Arabia until after Babylon had fallen. So that means that when Babylon eventually fell, and when the events of Daniel chapter 5 happened, Nabonidus was still the king of Babylon. However, at that time, the crown prince of Babylon, named Belshazzar, would have been the regent, he would have been the acting king, and would have been called king of Babylon. And friends, Daniel 5 seems to confirm that this is what was happening, because consider the rewards that Belshazzar was offering for interpreting the writing. Look at verse 29. Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed in purple, a chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now, why third? Back in Genesis chapter 41, when Joseph interpreted a dream for Pharaoh, Pharaoh made him second in command, only below him. So why third? Third, because, friends, the king is Nabonidus. He's the king of Babylon. But reigning in his place while he's gone is the crown prince, Belshazzar, and now Daniel is made third in the kingdom. So we find that while Belshazzar was not the king, it was very historically accurate to say that he was the king, the acting king of Babylon during the events of Daniel 5 and during the fall of Babylon. And what do we do with the fact that five times the text calls Nebuchadnezzar Belshazzar's father? It's easily answered when we realize that in the Near East, there was a regular convention of calling father or son and using those phrases figuratively of ancestors or descendants. We still do the same thing today when we talk about our forefathers. Those are not really our direct fathers. They are our forefathers. And more than that, we find that scripturally, the phrase father might be used of someone who came before you in a position or with authority. For example, Elijah the prophet was followed by Elisha the prophet. And when Elisha saw Elijah taken to heaven with chariots and chariots of fire, in 2 Kings 2.12, it says to us, Elisha saw it and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen, 
and he saw them no more. Now, Elijah was not biologically related to Elisha. However, Elisha was the one who would follow him and take up his mantle. Elijah was like a father to Elisha. So we find that this same language is being employed here when Nebuchadnezzar is called the father of Belshazzar. He is both a descendant. Nebuchadnezzar might have been Belshazzar's grandfather. But also, he's following in Nebuchadnezzar's footsteps because Nebuchadnezzar was the king before him. And now, Belshazzar reigns as the king, following, taking up the mantle of leadership. So with these understandings, friends, we find that Daniel 5 does line up with history. Because, friends, what we read today is no fiction. It's no fantasy. This is a historical record of what happened at that time in Babylon. And speaking of history, the events of Daniel chapter 5 here. Now, these happened about 30 years after the events of chapter 4, when Nebuchadnezzar's sanity was restored. And as we noted, Daniel 4 happened about 30 years after Daniel's deportation from Judah into Babylon, which he was a teenager at that time. So when we read this account, friends, Daniel was probably in his late 70s or in his mid-80s. And as of Daniel 5, King Nebuchadnezzar, he had been dead for 23 years. And following Nebuchadnezzar, there were three short-lived kings of Babylon, one reigning only two years, one four years, one for only two months, before Nabonidus rose to the throne and he reigned for 17 years. Now, interestingly, history records for us the date of Babylon's fall. Babylon ultimately fell on October 12th, of 539 B.C. And so we know that Belshazzar's banquet that we read about today and the events of Daniel 5, they happened on that date. October 12, 539 B.C. Which means that, friends, as of October 12th of this year, of 2022, it will have been 2,561 years since the party that we're reading about today. Now, you might ask, you know, you know, what was going on? I mean, with the throwing of this great party, what was happening here? And, and we might consider, how is it that Babylon, which, like we talked about last week, was such a mighty city, with such great walls and, and fortifications, how is it that it fell so quickly in this story? Friends, the downfall of Babylon was not because of the brilliance of the Persian army. It was because of the arrogance of Belshazzar. You know, the ancient author Xenophon, who recorded the taking of Babylon, suggests the city was magnificently well protected against the siege. And in fact, it had stores of food that would have lasted it for years. So what happens in Babylon 5 with the army coming in? This was no surprise. History records Belshazzar was not unaware that he had an enemy outside his doors. Friends, Belshazzar was arrogant. He took pride in his security. So with full knowledge, we read this account of the party, with full knowledge that there was an enemy at the door, that Babylon was actively under siege, that there was a battle raging, Belshazzar throws a party. He throws a party. And friends, this is the human condition. The human condition is not ignorance. It's arrogance. 
The human condition is not ignorance, it's arrogance. It's not that we don't know we have a problem, it's that we pridefully and arrogantly think we can handle it. We think we're in control. And we live as if nothing is wrong. So secure in his wealth, his wisdom, his power, and his planning, Belshazzar parties hard, lives large, with no regard for the truth. Friends, Belshazzar was not ignorant. He was arrogant. He wasn't unaware of the problem. He didn't care about the problem. Or at least he thought he had it all under control. And friends, how about you? How about you? Do you have it all under control? Your wealth, your wisdom, your power, your planning, do you have it all under control? As armies are amassed at the gate, are you secure in your ability to handle it? Do you simply party on and live large like Belshazzar? Verse 1 opens up and we find King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. He drank wine in front of them. Friends, we find our Belshazzar was a proud champion of drinking games. He was showing off. All eyes in the room were on him. It was all about him after all. And as the wine started to have its effect on him, Belshazzar calls for the gold and the silver vessels that had been plundered from the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. Now again, understand, this is no innocent mistake. It's not that Belshazzar didn't know what these vessels were. He knew that these were cups, goblets that had been removed from the temple in Jerusalem. These were holy things that were solely for the worship of the Lord. When he called for them, he was not ignorant. He was making a purposeful statement about his power. Bring me the goblets of that God who Nebuchadnezzar destroyed. Let's drink a toast from them to me and to my God. He was using holy vessels consecrated to the worship of the Lord to worship himself and his own God. Verse 4 says he worshiped the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. And it is ironic that that list of materials is a description of the statue from the vision of chapter 2. Gold, silver, bronze, Iron. He was worshipping the stuff and the powers and the kingdoms of earth, celebrating their power against the God of heaven, whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken these vessels from his temple. Friends, Babylon desecrates what God consecrates. Church, hear that again. The spirit of Babylon desecrates what God has consecrated. Evil treats as common what God says is holy. It's the very essence of sin. We misuse and desecrate what God has consecrated. Because all that God made is good and holy. Our breath and our bodies, our words and our wisdom, our relationships and our romance, our sensuality and our sexuality, our strength and our skill, our talent and our treasure... All of it was created by and consecrated by God for service to Him and His glory, but sin desecrates what God has consecrated. 
like Belshazzar, we misuse the good things that God has consecrated and we use them for selfish and self-serving purposes. It's the very nature of sin. And friends, all sin, all such blatant disregard of God deserves judgment. And friends, the warning in this passage is clear. If we continue in sin, desecrating that which God has consecrated, then for us, the writing is on the wall. So God shows up and He crashes Belshazzar's party. A disembodied hand appears. The finger of God writes in the soft plaster of the wall. And with that, the party's over. And as we've repeatedly seen in the book of Daniel, the so-called wise men are called in. And friends, again, the so-called wise men and wisdom of Babylon are revealed to be impotent and ignorant. While these so-called wise men might have been able to read the words, they had no idea what they meant. Why did they keep listening to the wise men of Babylon? Friends, why do we keep seeking the wisdom of Babylon? Belshazzar's terrified. I mean, three times in the text it says Belshazzar's color was changed. He wasn't looking very good. And friends, it's just chaos. And when everything's gone wrong, when everything has gone wrong, when chaos has ensued, who has to come in to set everything right? Mom does. Mom has to come in and set everything right. I mean, the kids know they are in trouble when mom hears the commotion and she comes into the room. I mean, verse 10, it says the queen entered the room. Now, friends, understand in that culture, you don't just appear before the king unsummoned or uninvited. In fact, a major point of the book of Esther, which happened shortly after this time, was that if if Queen Esther was to appear before the king unsummoned, she would be killed. And she was the queen. However, this queen in the story not only appears before the king unsummoned, but then she clearly takes charge of the situation. Friends, queen here in verse 10 most likely means queen mother. This woman here is likely either the wife of King Nabonidus, meaning Belshazzar's mother, or it could be the widow of Nebuchadnezzar, meaning Belshazzar's grandmother. So mom or grandma shows up on the scene to straighten Belshazzar out. And she says, call for Daniel. Now, friends, it seems from Belshazzar's words, and that seems from the speech that Daniel gives back to him, that Belshazzar likely knows who Daniel is already. But Belshazzar doesn't seem very thrilled to talk to Daniel. Friends, I don't think it's that Belshazzar was ignorant of Daniel. I think it's that Belshazzar was obstinate. He didn't want to hear or heed what Daniel might say. In fact, I don't know if you noticed, in verse 13, Belshazzar took a little dig at Daniel when he first came in. He, he reminds Daniel in verse 13 that, oh yeah, you're, you're one of those Jewish exiles conquered and captured by Nebuchadnezzar. He's belittling Daniel. But yet, he offers Daniel great rewards for interpreting the writing on the wall. Now, Daniel in verse 17 says, well, hey, keep your rewards for yourself, but I'll interpret it. Friends, Daniel's not going to be bought off or manipulated by a king's rewards. He's not a prophet for profit. He's not doing this to win favor or to get rich. 
Daniel says, I will bring you the interpretation, not for any glory that you can bring me, but for the glory of the God who sends me. And in verses 18 through 20, Belshazzar, Daniel gives Belshazzar a history lesson before he gives him a grammar lesson about the writing that's on the wall. But in giving Belshazzar the history lesson about Nebuchadnezzar in verses 18 through 21, friends, he's not telling Belshazzar anything that Belshazzar didn't already know. If you were with us last week, you remember that chapter 4 is unique in the Scriptures because this is Nebuchadnezzar's testimony. This is his PR letter. Remember, he disappeared from the public view. He abdicated the throne for a period of time. He all of a sudden reappears on the scene. He claims the throne and he has to release a public relations statement to explain where he went. And that's chapter 4. This was a public document. Belshazzar was aware of this and had probably read it. In fact, he might have heard the story from Nebuchadnezzar himself. Or at least from Nebuchadnezzar's officials. Who knows? He might have already heard the story told to him by Daniel himself. Friends, we need to understand, just as with the goblet incident, the problem with Belshazzar is not ignorance, it's obstinance. It's not that he doesn't know, it's that he doesn't want to know. Listen to Daniel's words in verses 22 through 23. And you... Nebuchadnezzar's son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you've lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. Did you hear that? Though you knew all this. You aren't ignorant of anything that happened to Nebuchadnezzar. You aren't ignorant of what went on. Belshazzar knows, but instead of responding to the knowledge with humility like Nebuchadnezzar eventually did, Belshazzar responded with pride, it says, lifting himself up against the Lord of Heaven. Friends, the problem is not ignorance. The problem is his arrogance. It is not that Belshazzar does not know. It's that he doesn't want to know. Belshazzar ultimately can't change the truth So he suppresses and denies and avoids and ignores the truth. Friends, this is the human condition. This is the human condition. It's not that we're ignorant. It's that we're obstinate. The Apostle Paul spelled it out clearly in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. He wrote, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God's shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they, we, are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Friends, humanity's problem is not ignorance. It's obstinance. Obstinance is defined as stubbornly adhering to an opinion, a purpose, or a course in spite of reason, arguments, or persuasion. 
friends, we are not ignorant of God. We are obstinate against Him. Humanity knows there's a God because God's made His existence plain. God's revealed Himself through the creation. He's revealed Himself in history. He's revealed Himself through His Word and most perfectly revealed Himself to us in His Son, Jesus Christ. God's divine nature have been clearly seen. But like Belshazzar, we deny the evidence in front of us. Daniel says, Belshazzar, you know all this. You have all the evidence that you need right in front of you. And you still deny it. And friends, that's us too. We have all the evidence we need right in front of us. And we still deny. Our problem is not ignorance. It's obstinance. We don't want to know the truth. So we suppress the truth. We deny the truth. We avoid the truth. We ignore the truth. Then like Belshazzar, we become arrogant. We refuse to humble ourselves before the God that we don't want to believe is there. We refuse to honor Him as God or give thanks to Him as God. Like Belshazzar, humanity has lifted itself up against the Lord of Heaven. And as such, friends, the party's over. The writing is on the wall. The words that are on the wall are actually Aramaic. Mene, mene, teko, parson. Some translations say mene, mene, teko, uparson. Because the U sound means and, and it's attached to the front of the words. That's why you might see a variation in your translation of the Bible. But translated, these words represent a sequence of decreasing weight. A mina, a mina, a shekel, and a half shekel. Now, if you attach different vowels to the Aramaic consonant, and you read these as verbs instead of nouns, it says numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. Numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. Twice for emphasis. Mene, your days are numbered. They really were numbered. Tekel, you have been weighed and found wanting. You've been weighed and found wanting. And Parson, judgment is coming. Your kingdom will be broken apart and divided, given to the Medes and the Persians. And by the way, that word Parson or Paris sounds like Persian. Because that was who was about to assume control of the kingdom from Belshazzar. Friends, this is the judgment for all who obstinately and arrogantly deny the truth. For those who, like Belshazzar, refuse to humble themselves before God, who refuse to honor Him and give thanks to Him as God, all that remains is judgment. Later on in the same letter to Romans that we read from just a minute ago, in chapter 3, verse 23, the Apostle Paul writes about us and says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Friends, the writing is on the wall for all of humanity. All of us have been weighed and found wanting. For all of us, we've fallen short of God's glorious standard. All of us have sinned, and as such, all of us deserve judgment. Friends, our sin is not the result of mere ignorance. God has revealed Himself time and time again in way after way. He's revealed who He is. He's revealed what He requires. The human condition is not ignorance. It's obstinance. We resist and suppress the truth. Our problem is not ignorance, but arrogance. We know better. Or we try to change the truth, or we try to control the situation. So like Belshazzar, all that remains is judgment. If not for the gospel. 
if not for the good news. Friends, the good news is that God is just, but God is also gracious. God is just, but He is also gracious. God has been warning Belshazzar that he might humble himself and repent and avoid judgment. The Lord has given Belshazzar knowledge of Nebuchadnezzar and what happened to him. And who knows how many other warnings the Lord has offered to Belshazzar over time and over the years so that he might repent. But instead of humbling himself and repenting, we find him raising himself up against God. Instead of receiving the grace of repentance that God offers. Again, Daniel 5.23 says he continued to lift himself up. To lift himself up against the Lord of heaven. And as such, the writing's in the wall for him. Friends, the writing is on the wall for Belshazzar. And the writing is on the wall for you and for me. Our issue is not ignorance. It's obstinance. We don't want to know. It's overconfidence. We think we know better. It's arrogance. We think we can change the truth. And if we maintain that, the writing will remain on the wall. But the gospel, the good news is that God is gracious and has offered us a way to be saved through His Son, Jesus Christ. The the Apostle Paul describes for us, in a beautiful passage, what it is that Christ did for us on the cross. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul writes, He canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Friends, the writing was on the wall, or in our case, our sin and guilt written down as if on a record of our debt. And with Jesus' death on the cross, that writing was nailed to the cross. And our debt, our just punishment, was paid in full. Friends, that's the gospel, the good news, that all the writing, all the just judgment that says we were weighed and found wanting, that we fall short of God's glory, the whole record of our debt, it's been nailed to the cross. We bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. It is finished and paid. Jesus took the judgment. He bore the punishment. He paid the price. So the good news is that there is grace for those who believe the writing is on the wall. And rather than obstinately denying, suppressing, or simply throwing a party so they can ignore the truth, there is grace for those who receive the truth, who humble themselves before God, who accept what Christ has done, who honor Him as God and give thanks to Him. And friends, how about you? How about you? Do you acknowledge that the writing is on the wall? Or will you continue in obstinance, denying and ignoring the truth, partying while the armies of judgment stand at the gate? Will you live in prideful overconfidence, thinking that you know better than the truth, or that maybe you could do something about the truth? Will you live in arrogance, believing you can somehow change the truth? Are you secure in your own goodness, your own achievement, your own religiosity, your own understanding, your own power? Friends, if you are hearing my voice, you are no longer ignorant. You have no excuse. The writing's on the wall. In God's judgment, we have all been weighed and found wanting. The only question left for us is, like Belshazzar, will you remain obstinate? Daniel charged and said, You, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all of this. And friends, you know all of this. 
you know the writings on the wall. So what stops you from humbling your heart before the Lord today? Let's pray. Father, humble us. Humble us. For Lord, we are not ignorant. We are arrogant. We are obstinate. But we are not ignorant. We're not ignorant of your existence. And Father, now we've heard even greater news. We are not ignorant of the gospel. Of what you've done for us. So Lord, may we respond. Not by lifting ourselves up and denying, ignoring, or trying to suppress the truth but by humbling ourselves before the truth, submitting to the truth, and receiving what we most need, grace, forgiveness, the record of our debt nailed to the cross, paid in full, so that we might be saved. Father, be glorified in us and through us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.